Hi, and welcome to the Church Renewal Podcast from Flourish Coaching. Flourish exists to set ministry leaders free to be effective wherever God has called them. So when pastors or churches feel stuck, our team of coaches refresh their hope in the gospel and help them clarify their strategy. I'm the host of the Church Renewal Podcast, Alan Edwards, and today we're going to dig into evangelism. You know, I've talked with pastors who feel like they're banging their heads against a wall trying to get their church to engage and start sharing the gospel through ministries or programs. You know, I've also talked to church members who are frustrated when their pastor or their elders say things like, well, we just don't have anyone gifted in evangelism here. Renewed churches have a passion in their midst to share the good news. What's your experience been? Have you had a passion for evangelism? Have you had passionate evangelism role modeled for you? Are you trying to spark a passion for evangelism in your congregation? We'd love to hear your experiences. So please connect with us on Twitter at Flourish Coach One. That's Flourish Coach and the number one or on Facebook at Flourish Coaching or online at flourishcoaching.org. You know, today we're going to invite Matt Bowling, our executive director, to join us and talk about the ways that evangelism and church renewal go hand in hand. So come on, let's dig in and explore the ways that Jesus is renewing his church. Church renewal is the process by which a person or a church body experiences a new prayerfulness and a new passion to share the good news. That's what we're talking about today with our executive director here at Flourish, a passion to share the good news, a passion for evangelism. Matt, I can tell you that uh, even to this day, I struggle to find passion for evangelism. What about you? Mm, I would say that there's a period of time where I lost my passion for evangelism. Yeah. Um, I had grown up as an unbeliever. So um, there are people around me who had a passion for evangelism that helped me come to know the Lord. And so that early on, um, I had a, a passion for evangelism because um, I, I'd experienced that I had received it from people. And so I, um, when I first, you know, within six months of me um, coming to Christ, I ran into a campus ministry that was very, very um, passionate about teaching how to do evangelism. And so um, I was taught how to do evangelism and did a lot of evangelism through um, college. And then I was a missionary after college, did a lot of evangelism when I was a missionary. And I would say that once I started to move towards going to seminary and I moved states and uprooted and was consumed with um, doing seminary work or whatever, I really, I lost it. Can, yeah, can I be honest? Good. One of the hard things for me, I, I grew up in, in the church bubble, Christian college, worked for believers, yeah. um, very us versus them mentality mm-hmm. uh, in my, just my personal orientation was that sure. way. Sure. And I have, I have become committed to evangelism in the last five years. Mm. Um, but it is, it's hard. It's hard with my kids to spend significant amounts of time with people who aren't who aren't believers. Yeah. It's hard when our lives aren't the same. Um, I've heard you say in various training seminars that we do that um, in order to plant a church, a pastor has to be a very effective evangelist. Yes. Fruitful evangelist. Fruitful sure. evangelist. Yep. Yep. But that to lead renewal in the church, pastors and elders have to be at the very least committed evangelist. Can right. you tell me what you mean by that? Yeah. So committed evangelist, we talked in a previous podcast about this idea. If you hold up both of your hands and you've got 10 fingers that you're looking at, 
that you've got to free up three connectors for people that don't know Jesus. So I think a committed evangelist um, has done that. Okay. That they they have permanent space built into their life for a series of relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if I look at the dozen years that we lived in Seattle, Julie and I have spent significant time with dozens of people that don't know Jesus. And we maintain friendships with them because we moved there and we were committed that we were going to make and leave space in our lives for people that didn't know Jesus. Isn't evangelism just a gift that certain people have? No, it's a calling of all Christians. What about the argument that, well, it's pastor's job because evangelism is preaching the gospel. So it's really a pastor's job to do the evangelism. Well, I mean, well, no, I mean, yes and no. Okay. Right. Certainly the pastor needs to competently um, preach the gospel from the pulpit. Right. But the Great Commission says, uh, if I were to put it colloquially, the mat, the mat colloquially, the mat translation is y'all go. <laughs> Right? It's yeah. a plural to all disciples. Not just the 12. Not, not just, just the, the apostles. 12. No, because Jesus prays not just for them, but those, those who will believe through them. And then those who will keep on believing, right? John 17. Jesus prays for, he prayed for us in that sense in the John 17 prayer, right? Yeah. And so it was meant to be programmatic, right? That it wasn't, that as you're going, all y'all, you ought to be making disciples, teaching, obeying, Right. You know, and so it's not just church officers that, or even just pastors that do evangelism. It's it's all of us. Are there some who are particularly gifted towards it? Sure. And they ought to be the ones that plant new churches. Sure. But for all of us, the reason that today dawned is because Jesus is yet gathering a people and using us to do it, using regular people like us. Pastors sometimes are the least effective evangelists. But But even if they're not effective or fruitful... You say that they need to be committed. Why is it so important for the leadership of a, a local congregation to be committed to evangelism? And what, what do you mean by committed? So I think the reason it's so critical is that two, two passages in the New Testament about elders are important. Uh, one is Peter talks about being examples to the flock. Mm-hmm. What are you exampling? Is it First Peter 5? I think so, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, what are you exampling? You're exampling that the regular Christian life is that you are committed to the reason that today dawned, right? Which is that Jesus is gathering people and using us to do it. So you're committed to the thing that Jesus is animated about, right? And you example it, right? So I think that that's that's absolutely critical. I think the other reason is that if you're committed and you're praying in that way and you're orienting your life in that way, you're equipping yourself in that way then you have the opportunity to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So another way to say this is if it is not culturally in a church trickling from the top down, it's unlikely that it's going to trickle from the bottom up. Correct. And I think too, now it can happen that you'll have somebody who's provocative in a church. I pastored a church one time, one of the most painful experiences of my life. But um, some people were in the church were really evangelistic. And it was a moment where I wasn't particularly, the church itself wasn't particularly. You know what happened to those people? They left the church. Mm. And they went to a church that was more evangelistic. And it it was terribly painful. It was a good, in the sense that it was provocative, uh, uh, that we needed to, I needed to be different, and that we needed to be different. Um, 
But it's painful that people who are animated about evangelism had to leave to go find another uh, yeah. evangelistic church. That's hard. That was really hard. It was one of the most difficult experiences that I've had pastorally. Yeah. But it was good because it was one of those things the Lord provoked for me to become, to, to be different. Um, so I think that, that here's the way that I think about pastoral leadership and leadership among elder groups. You think about a pastor, you ever thrown a concrete block in a pond? No. Really? What are you doing? Oh, come on. That you're, Alan, we have to go do this while what, I'm here this what trip. What are you doing? We have to go, spare through time. A, to go through And you'll have to help me because I'm an old guy now and I can't throw a concrete box. So, have you ever gone and thrown a concrete box? <laughs> That's like Matt's day off. I just go down the pond. I throw concrete blocks. <laughs> if you throw. Oh, come on. I grew up in the country. All right. Gotcha. So you throw a concrete block into a pond. There's a couple of things that happen. One, there's the most glorious sound that you've ever heard emitted, which is super wonderful. Okay, like a big kerplunk. <laughs> kerplunk is like a vast understatement. Okay. Um, but what happens is that when, it, when you drop a concrete block into a pond, it produces this amazing all-circling bow wake from, that emanates from where the block entered the pond. And in my mind, this ripples. is what past ripples. ripples. Yeah. So in my mind, this is the way that pastoral leadership operates. Is you're the big block by God's grace, by the work of the Spirit. You're the big block that drops into the middle of the pond. And that first biggest bow wake goes over the leaders in the church, the elders, the deacons, the small group leaders, the ministry leaders. So you wash over them and they become so affected by that that then it continues to ripple out all through the church. Mm -hmm. That's the way I envision um, pastoral leadership. Yeah. So I think you, you just, it, it has to, it has to go that way. You can have people that provoke from within, like this couple in church that I led that, that tried to provoke us from within, but there just weren't enough of us listening at the time. Although it was it certainly was a wake up call. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about a definition of church renewal, we say that it's a process for all of these kind of things, a new prayerfulness, joyful, reverent worship, a sense of place, but then we say passion for evangelism or passion for the good news. The idea of a process, which sounds to me ordered, and passion, which is like the ancient definition of disordered, they seem to, to, to clash. Now, I would imagine you're going to say to me, it's not about ginning up fake emotions or passion. But what, what do you mean? And can you describe for me a, a time or a place where you've seen someone process-wise really trying to intentionally spark organic passion to share the good news and and what does that what have you where have you seen that and what does it look like so a process is made up of many steps right yeah yeah so for example um a, a short example if you find out in your church that one of the things that's broken is that nothing can happen unless mrs jones says it's okay and the elders don't actually have um power in the church right then you have to go have a conversation with Mrs. Jones so the elders actually have power in the church because that's what Jesus, that's the responsibility that Jesus gives them and Mrs. Jones shouldn't have that responsibility. So the one of the things in your process would be to go address that, right? So one of the other things in your process might be to say, we don't have enough passion for evangelism, so we need to address this. This is like one of our big objectives for the year. Having objectives for a year would be the subject of another podcast, but yeah. let's just it's say, process. Yeah. But, but it's part of the process is to say, this is a problem that we've got. So how would you how would you help people develop a passion for evangelism? I think it starts where we were in, in the last podcast, which is prayer. Just begin to pray about our 
lack of heart for evangelism and that we, that we, Lord, we need you to move us that we'll have more love for people, more desire for them to know the Lord and that you would help us to be selfless in the way we live our lives, that we would develop those three relationships with unbelievers, everybody in our church, you know, so that they would um, do it. So I think that it, it always begins with prayer for sure. And then I think too, it's trying to help people. It, it, it's a gentle discipling of people to say, um, what are you actually functionally living for? Mm. And most Americans are living for two things. They're living for comfort and the American dream. They're waiting to get to retirement and they're waiting for their life to get more comfortable. And this, this push towards an orientation around people that don't know Jesus and towards evangelism is really uncomfortable. So you're sure. pushing uphill. You're pushing a rock yeah. uphill, yeah. right? So you got to realize that there's a degree to which the gospel gives us benefits. It gives us privileges. It also calls us to obligations. And we're, yeah. we're not really hesitant about that. We're, we can be a little bit hesitant towards saying, really an obligation of the gospel. If this king's called you into his kingdom, one of the things that will shape your life is it ought to be shaped by the kingdom and by the passions and the, the, the passions of the king. You ought to be asking the king, what are your passions? Because the king's passion may not be that you have the nice house on the hill, but king's passion might be that you stay in the small house down in the valley, but you're around lots of people that need Jesus. And that's a very different way of choosing to live life. Uh, we, we came in our church in Seattle uh, to coin a phrase, um, which was that oftentimes repenting means rechoosing. Repenting means re-choosing. Now, I was going to ask you about your church in Seattle and their journey toward evangelism. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about repenting, re-choosing, and your church's journey toward evangelism? Yeah, happy to. So um, so part of the way that, that repenting can lead to re-choosing is that um, I choose to do less. Okay. So that I can do more. So I choose to do less of the things that that I might pick or my kids might pick or that that might have animated my life if I thought my life was about me, right? I might not take a promotion because it would mean I now have to work 70 hours a week instead of 55. Right. And that would leave less time for my family and no time for people that don't Jesus. So I might choose not to take a promotion. I might choose to sell a house where um, I've got to work so much and work at a job that totally stresses me out and everything. I might sell that house and move into a smaller house in a different neighborhood because um, I don't, I don't want to live that way. I want to have energy that's left over for people that don't know Jesus. Um, I might look at my kids' activities and I, and I might say to my kids, kids, you know what? It's really, really important that you get as we're growing up that that our family is really not about music lessons and sports and, and all that we can pack in. It's really not about you being well-rounded individuals, actually. That's an American dream thing. Yeah. That's not necessarily a Jesus thing, right? And um, um Really, we want you to know that what's important about this is about the kingdom and people that don't know Jesus. And so what we'd like to do is that in, you know, in each uh, each quarter, um, you're going to get to do one thing and the rest of you get to cheer for that other sibling that's doing one thing. And we're going to take that extra time and we're always going to on Thursday night have people over. We're going to pray for the people we have over and, and we're going to love them while they're there and we're going to pull together and clean up the house and help mom do dishes. And we're going to make Thursday night the night that that's kingdom night in our house. Now that's a significant rechoosing that flows out of repenting. And that's, that changes family life. Oh, right? well, you're, you're assaulting the gods of 
21st century American families there. Absolutely. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, that's why I'm saying that's why we came to re, to to coin it that way, that repenting often means rechoosing, significant rechoosing. Yeah. The way that we think about the fundamental orientation of why we are where we are and yeah. why, what does our family exist for? Um, and um, yeah, so I would say, so I told a story in a previous podcast about the family that left the church as a result of really gaining this evangelistic impulse. Let me tell a story about a church, a family that moved into the neighborhood Okay, for this evangelistic impulse. So this is a family that moved back to town because the the father of the husband was, was dying early of cancer. So it's a very sad story when they came to our church. They came to our church and um, he was a... Uh, um, teacher and she was uh, uh just moving towards being a stay-at-home mom very um very introverted um and it, and and really no uh their whole background had been really much more towards um, particular church and doctrine and things like that and they were at our church initially um because of the doctrine that we preached and that's why they came to us because we matched up with where they were but as they heard as they listened they kind of got into the shape of the church um they were like, you know what? We, we want God to do this in us and through us. And they began to make a move where they um, changed fundamentally the way that they thought about their family life. As they began to have kids, they, they did it in a really, really different way where they always made room for people that didn't know Jesus. They eventually began to host a small group that was much more missionary in its outlook uh, they would throw parties and invite people that didn't know Jesus to. And um, and it, it was just, it was marvelous to just watch it happen um, in our midst. And they were just a great, a great joy. That's beautiful. A, absolutely a great joy to see. So we like to always end our time together on some resources, some things that will help move the dial, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if each and every pastor out there is going to have a family that moves into the neighborhood and begins throwing parties sure. with their non-Christian friends. I will tell you, though, before before I let you share some of your favorites, I read this last year uh, Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key. and So uh, good. So good. And her same kind of mentality, One at least one night a week is neighbor night. And my wife and I, this, this last month, we opened our house one night a week, invited all our neighbors. Not many came. At times, it was loud because of all the kids. We tried to do some Bible study with it, and it didn't, you know, it wasn't picturesque or perfect. Um, Jesus it was, was pleased. But it was good. It was good for us, and it was good for our neighborhood. Um, and that was because that book, uh, I read that book on a train ride and went away in tears and just wanted to capture that vision. Mm. Um, so other than that, for you, what are some what are some things, if we, if we want to help pastors and ministry leaders shape their congregation around evangelism what would you where would you send them yeah so i think just to keep the keep in that vein with uh, rosaria for a second um a meal with jesus um tim chester so good just saying that this is easier than you think it is but a lot of christians also have not picked up the christian duty and i'm not afraid to use that word because that's part of our calling of hospitality mm -hmm of just learning the skill of opening your home to people who don't know Jesus. And so I think that Meal with Jesus gives you a vision for that, of that Jesus did most of his ministry, particularly in Luke Acts, in, in Luke's gospel, over meals. 
and gaining a vision for that. And that that's just pursuing real friendship with people. Um, Dever's personal evangelism, I think is very good and helpful um, for just, you know, sort of prodding you this way. Um, I love Mil- Will Metzger's stuff on training for evangelism. That's not particularly what we're looking for here, but um, but I think that that's, he's continued to develop his latest editions of um, To Tell the Truth is, is very, very good. Um, and I think that there's a couple of papers that we'll link to um, in the show notes. Uh, there's a paper that was written by a, a pastor in our denomination named Tom Wood, who just was trying to help recapture the fact that, that church planting and um, is primarily about evangelism. And so is really church renewal. Church renewal is really the impulse of trying to get back to the vitality that a church has in that plant phase where they've not lost sight of this, that we're primarily here for people that don't know Jesus. And so that paper is really good just for goading people um, in that direction. Great. Uh, Piper's also good in, in terms of thinking about let the nations be glad, you know, and um, so he has a great passion for people to to come to know the Lord and to worship, worship him because that's what they were made for. Yeah. Well, thanks for all that, Matt. It's been uh, it's been a challenging conversation for me personally. I hope for our listeners, it's been challenging and encouraging for you as well. Uh, you've been listening to the Church Renewal Podcast today from Flourish Coaching. We'd love to hear your thoughts on passionate evangelism and church renewal. What are your struggles? What are the ways you're seeing the Lord work in your context? Reach out to us over email. You can reach our executive director, Matt, at flourishcoaching.org. You can also reach out to me at Alan, A-L-L-A-N, at flourishcoaching.org by email, or just stop in on the website, flourishcoaching.org. Uh, you can always find us on social media, Facebook. Our Facebook page is at tinyurl.com backslash flourishfb, or on Twitter, flourishcoach, and then the number one, flourishcoach1. Thanks for listening today. We believe here at Flourish that there is only one fully sufficient reason that this day dawned. Jesus is still gathering his people and he uses his church to do it. So join us as we explore the ways that Jesus is renewing his church.